Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why most people's favorite color is blue. Then, you'll learn why the mystery of how cats always land on their feet puzzled scientists for centuries with help from author Greg Gabor. Let's satisfy some curiosity. What's your favorite color? Can I make a guess? My guess is blue. And I'm guessing that because apparently blue is most people's favorite color. And scientists think they know why. Even cooler is that their theory also says that our feelings about color are not as fixed as we think. So first you have to understand why we prefer certain colors in the first place. According to psychologists, our opinion on color can be traced to the emotional associations we make with objects of that color. So if you don't like broccoli, you might not like green. Or you might like yellow because it reminds you of a smiley face. Of course, a single color can be associated with both good and bad things. Brown is the color of yummy chocolate, but also the color of feces. Yuck. But there's one color that has hardly any downsides. Try thinking of something negative that's blue. Pretty hard, right? While on the positive side, people universally experience blue skies and clear blue water. So, do you choose to own a blue car or t-shirt because you're subconsciously reminded of blue skies? Well, not necessarily. In a study from 2011, researchers pitted colors against each other. They were studying the link between students' school spirit and their feelings on their school's colors. And Stanford University students ended up preferring their school's red and white over Berkeley's blue and gold. Those same team-like associations happen on election day. If you're an American who tends to vote for Republican candidates, you might switch to preferring red, which represents the party you most closely associate with. But the rest of the year, you'll prefer the color blue, same as your Democrat friends. There are seasonal differences, too. If it's autumn and you're seeing fall leaves, you might prefer brown, gold, and orange. Because yes, color preferences even tend to change with the seasons. So basically, your favorite color varies and is influenced by your experiences with things around you, not the other way around. This would have been good to know last autumn, right? When you bought that orange jacket you haven't worn a single time. But hey, check the return policy on your receipt, and who knows? Maybe you can go exchange it for a blue one. What's your favorite color, Cody? Blue. Really? Curiosity blue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite color is orange, so. Is it? Yeah. All right. I think I chose it in junior high just to be different, mm -hmm. and then it stuck. We're different. Yep. Today's episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Make 2020 a year where you explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with Skillshare's online classes. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. And what you find just might surprise and inspire you. I was surprised and inspired when I took a look at Skillshare's top classes from 2019, because I found a class I probably wouldn't have thought about taking otherwise. It's called Writing the Truth, How to Start Writing Your Memoir. And it's taught by Mary Carr, a critically acclaimed memoirist behind The Liars Club and other New York Times best-selling memoirs. And no, I'm not writing my own memoir right now, but it's been a super helpful class for learning about some new approaches to writing and new ways to talk about myself in general. And finding new ways to be creative helps everything I do. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com curiosity and get two free months of premium membership. 
That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Skillshare is a proud sponsor of Curiosity Daily. So get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash curiosity. One more time, that's Skillshare.com slash curiosity. We've talked about cats on this podcast. We've talked about physics on this podcast. So we think you're ready for the next level of Curiosity Daily. Cat physics. And this story comes with a side of history and a little space exploration. Fun for the whole family. Because it turns out that studying the science behind cats' extraordinary ability to always land on their feet has given us crucial insights into puzzles in mathematics, geophysics, and human space exploration. And that's according to physicist and cat parent Greg Gabor, author of the new book Falling Felines and Fundamental Physics. He told us that researchers started publishing papers on how cats land on their feet all the way back in 1700, back when Isaac Newton was still alive. And today, physicists are still fighting it out. Here's our conversation with Greg, starting with one of the first major breakthroughs in studying how cats move. In the mid to late 1800s, a lot of physicists thought they had the problem figured out. And... Then these high-speed photographs came out by this French physiologist, Etienne Jules Mary, and he presented them to the French Academy of Sciences, and basically they were shocked. The cat was turning over in a way that they didn't think was possible. And one of the physicists is on record as saying essentially that Mr. Mary has presented them with a fundamental paradox that goes against the known laws of physics, which is a pretty strong statement. That is. The the thing I don't understand about that is, like, there were divers back then. There were acrobats. People were doing this in the air like actual people were. Why why were cats so strange? (laughs) Well, I think part of it is just that physicists hadn't really thought the problem through enough. There's the the classic saying that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And in the mid-1800s, scientists really started understanding this idea of angular momentum and the conservation of angular momentum, that the idea that something can't start rotating unless it makes something else counter-rotate. In particular, like if you ride a bicycle, if you're riding, if you start your bicycle wheels spinning on the earth, you are in effect causing a little bit of counter-rotation of the earth, but the earth is so massive that there is no noticeable effect. And Physicists really took this to heart in their understanding of angular momentum. They said, well, something can't start rotating unless something else is counter-rotating. So when they were looking at a cat, before high-speed photography, they assumed that a cat must push off of something as it starts to fall. That just as it knows it's falling, it kind of kicks off to give itself some rotation, and that that's how it manages to turn over. And then the high-speed photographs came out and showed that, no, a cat starts falling and it's not moving at all at first, and then it manages to flip over even though it had no initial rotation. And this is what shocked people at the time. At the time, physicists were thinking about angular momentum in terms of rigid bodies, like a spinning wheel or a spinning top or a yo-yo. And anybody who has a cat knows that a cat is not a rigid body. (laughs) very much the opposite of that. They're practically fluids from in a lot of people's eyes. So that, that oversimplistic view, people were looking at rotation in terms of rigid objects, but a cat can rotate different parts of its body in different ways in order to achieve that 180 degree rotation to land on its feet. And there are 
are a number of different strategies it uses to do this. The, the simplest one, which, albeit probably the least important one, is using its tail. Is if, it, if a cat rotates its tail in one direction like propeller, then its body has to counter-rotate in order to conserve that zero angular momentum. And the most important motion that I talk about in the book is what's usually called the bend and twist. By bending at its waist, a cat can counter-rotate the upper and lower halves of its body, rotate them basically in opposite directions, which is sort of a twist around that waist joint. And those two counter-rotations partially cancel out, which allows the cat to have a overall body rotation to land feet towards the ground. Okay, so a cat can rotate its tail or bend and twist its body to get an overall body rotation to help it land on its feet. How does that help us, though? Greg told us about some of the things we can learn from studying cat physics. One of the things, the historic things that I talk about is in the 1960s, this helped a lot in trying to teach astronauts how to move. Because if a cat is in free fall, it is essentially weightless. And the fact that it can turn around, well, that was a, that's an ability that they wanted to be able to teach an astronaut. If an astronaut ends up weightless and not able to push off of any object, then you can learn from a cat how to turn around. Oh, my gosh. Did anyone ever suggest giving astronauts tails? <laughs> they never did. Um, never really gave them a tail. Um, though there were all sorts of interesting gadgets that astronauts were given in an attempt to allow them to propel themselves around. There was one thing that I happen to mention in the book is they were, they were, there were tests done in weightless aircrafts using big gyroscopes. They were given big spinning wheels that they could then tilt and turn to try and keep themselves stable and also adjust their body position. You can read more in Greg Gabor's new book, Falling Felines and Fundamental Physics. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Before we wrap up, we wanted to follow up on our story about brown and white eggs from last Friday. Special thank you to David in Brackney, Pennsylvania, who wrote in about our segment on the difference between white and brown eggs. David's email was super informative, and he even sent us a picture of the brown, white, and green eggs he recently bought. David pointed out that, contrary to what we said on the podcast, brown eggshells aren't always stronger than white ones. And a bit more research confirmed that this is actually true. Thanks for the heads up, David. And we hope you enjoyed your green eggs with some ham, like you mentioned. Speaking of colors, let's talk about what we learned today. Starting with the fact that blue has so many positive associations, that's why it's a lot of people's favorite color. I'm just going to spend the next few weeks trying to think of a bad thing that's blue. Avatar? <laughs> Smurfs? Smurfs are not bad. No, they're not. Avatar was fine. It was good. I really enjoyed it, actually. People like to dunk on it, but I think it's a good movie. All right, that's fine. And I was just tickled to find out how physicists are still trying to figure out how cats land on their feet and how that's actually helping our scientific breakthroughs. I just want to know what scientific breakthroughs we'll come up with by studying the cat's movie, The Uncanny Valley. Actually, I, I bet there's going to be a study on The Uncanny Valley and cats. Can't wait. You know we'll cover it here. Today's first story was written by Steffi Drucker and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.